I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we take a different approach sometimes. I'm Aaron Bishop, here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey! And today we are in Job chapters 20 and 21. At the end of this week, we are going to hit the halfway point for the book of Job in the number of chapters. We're still not there thematically, but for the number of chapters, we will hit the halfway point. There's 42 chapters. We're going to end with chapter 21 this week, which, frankly, kind of makes you go, We're only oh, halfway through. Right. We're only. Halfway there. With so much repetition, it gets a little bogged down. It does. It does. And uh, frankly, I think that's kind of the point, is people who go through this, they get bogged down. And we've talked about that in previous episodes, how when you go through grief and PTSD and so forth, you just keep going over the same old things, retreading the same thoughts over and over again. And we see that such a beautiful picture of that here in the book of Job. But unfortunately... Because we're Westerners, and we have this idea of don't use more words than are necessary, or don't repeat yourself, or, you know, get to the point, don't don't be so flowery about it. We get, uh, we get tired of it. We're like, all right, move on, move on, grow some, please. And yet when we see people who are going through this, that's our same plea to them is, grow, please, come on, move past this, go on, you've been here for so long. And sometimes that's not what we need to do. We need to right. let them sit in it. We need to let them experience it as long as it takes. Right. And this week we're actually going to get a taste of that in the text. Because we get two different themes this week. We get one so far just kind of saying the same old thing. He's saying, well, we know you're you're wicked, Job. That's just... Don't That's you know just how that works? This is what happens to the wicked. But Job takes a different approach this week, and he comes at it from the point of uh no, you're wrong, and I have empirical evidence of this. So let's go actually look at wicked men and see how their lives end up. And we have this contrast here in these two chapters of what we want and what we desire to be true, how we desire for people to change, how we desire for things to be a certain way, and then how they actually are. And it's not the way that we would desire. And It doesn't fit in the box. Right. It doesn't fit in our own hopes of how things should work. Our ideas of justice and recompense and righteousness being repaid by God. 
it doesn't really fit. Yeah, it doesn't fit the narrative. Right. Inside our heads. That's a good way to put it. It doesn't fit the narrative in our heads. Because we all have a narrative in our heads. And the friends of Job, they're all coming at it from this narrative that's not necessarily in their heads, but that's in their, their religion. And their teachings. And, and their doctrine their, and their, yeah. their understanding, their traditions about who God is and how he acts. Which we do see reflected their teachings throughout the, the rest of Scripture and other parts of Scripture. But the reality of the matter is what we're going to see Job highlight this week. So let's go ahead and let's read these two chapters and then let's come back and let's discuss further. Job. 20 and 21. Then Zophar the Naamathite responded and said, In truth, my troubled thoughts urge me to answer because of my feelings within me. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me, and my understanding inspires me to reply. Do you not know that it has been from old since mankind was put on earth that the triumph of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless is but for a moment? Though his pride reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he perishes forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, Where is he? Like a dream he flies away and they cannot find him. Like a vision of the night he is chased away. The eye that saw him will not see him again. His place will look on him no more. His children must recompense the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. His bones were full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he cannot bear to let it go and holds it in his mouth, his food turns sour in his stomach. It becomes the venom of serpents within him. He swallows riches and vomits them up. God empties it out of his stomach. He sucks the poison of serpents. Fangs of a viper kill him. He will not look at streams, rivers flowing with honey and butter. He gives back what he toiled for without swallowing it. He will not enjoy the riches of his trade. For he has oppressed and abandoned the poor. He has seized a house he did not build. He knows no satisfaction from his greed. He cannot save himself by his desires. Nothing remains for him but to devour. Therefore, his prosperity will not last. In the fullness of his plenty, he will be distressed. The full force of misery will come upon him. While he is filling his belly, he will send the anger of his wrath against him and rain it down on him on his flesh. Though he flees from an iron weapon, a bronze bow pierces him through. He pulls and it comes out of his back and the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors come upon him. Total darkness waits for his treasures. A fire not fanned will devour him. It will consume what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his iniquity. The earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of his wrath. Such is the wicked man's lot from God, the heritage appointed to him by God. Then Job replied, Listen carefully to my words. Let this be your consolation. Bear with me as I speak, and after I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint against man? If so, why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled. Put your hand over your mouth. 
When I think of it, I am terrified, and my flesh shudders. Why do the wicked go on living, growing old and increasing in power? Their children are established in their presence, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes have peace and are free from fear. No rod of God is on them. His bull breeds without fail. His cow calves and do not miscarry. They send out their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and in a moment go down to Sheol. Yet they say to God, Leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who should I that we should serve him? What would we gain if we pray to him? Look, their prosperity is not in their own hands. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out, or calamity fallen on them? How often does he allot pain in his anger? How often are they like straw before the wind, like chaff swept away by a storm? You say God stores up the punishment for his children. Let him repay the wicked so he may know it. Let his own eyes see his ruin. Let him drink the wrath of Shaddai. For what does he care for his family that he leaves behind when the number of his months has come to an end? Can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges even the highest? One dies in his full strength, completely secure and at ease. His pails are full of milk. His bones are moist with marrow. Yet another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted goodness. Together they lie in the dust, and worms cover over them. Behold, I know your thoughts, the schemes by which you wrong me. For you ask, where is the nobleman's house and the tent where the wicked lived? Have you not asked travelers? Do you not recognize their accounts that the wicked are spared for the day of calamity? That they are brought to the day of wrath? Who declares his conduct to his face? Who repays him for what he has done? He is brought to the grave, and watch is kept over his tomb. The soil in the valley is sweet to him. Everyone follows after him, and countless are those before him. So how will your futility comfort me? For your answers remain nothing but falsehood. So I'm not really sure how much we have to cover this week. Uh, as we said in the intro, so far speech, it's pretty standard for Job's friends. Yeah. It's, the wicked it's deserve death. He's taking it up a notch. It seems like each one of them, each response, takes it up another notch and just ramps it up more in how evil they think Job is because of where he currently is. Right, because this is what their doctrine says. If you're evil, you you suffer these fates. I mean, he perishes forever like his own dung. Uh, those who have seen him say, where is he? He flies away like a dream and is not found. He's driven like a vision of the night. His sons seek the favor of the poor, and his hands give back his wealth. His bones shall be filled with his youth, but it lies down with him in the dust. Evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue. Skipping down to uh, verse 21, there's no leftovers after he's eaten. Therefore, his good does not last. Uh, this idea that 
Uh, he's a glutton. He, he eats everything that's on the table. Um, mm-hmm. and I have a, a, a parent who could have learned a lesson from this that just because it's on the plate doesn't mean I have to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You have a parent that's like that too. I used to have to actually <laughs> eat my leftovers for breakfast the uh, next yes. day. <laughs> well, that's good. You had leftovers, uh, at least, so that's good. <laughs> With all his plenty, he is still in distress, and the hand of every laborer comes against him. It shall be at the filling of his stomach that he casts on his burning wrath, and it rains down on him while he's eating. So the he there is God, casting down burning wrath on him while he's sitting there in his satisfaction, his gluttony, or, or whatever. He's painting a horrible picture. Right. An absolutely horrible picture of Job. And not just Job, but anybody who's in any kind of distress. Right. Right. Because if you are suffering, if you've gone through some sort of terrible event in your life, then this is obviously what you're reaping is because you have sown, being the idea that's that's here. It, it doesn't give any ground for a righteous person to suffer it's like the they see suffering as the litmus test for righteousness absolutely and i honestly think that there's a lot of people that still do that yes uh, it's a very common idea oh you you have cancer or oh your children died young or whatever well it's because you're you have done something that you need to repent for you have or, unrepentant sin right or, or there's there's something that you haven't dealt with uh, the new age is very full of this kind of idea or you don't have enough faith or you didn't name right. it and claim it right or you didn't speak it out into existence right. and speak it into reality and Right, so in, in the New Age movement, there's this whole idea of manifesting, right? You, you got there. That uh, you can picture an idea over and over and over again, and it will it will come into your reality. Or you can, the name it and claim it doctrine is very much based on a New Age type dot ideas. This idea that the things that occur in your life, the, the terrible things and the good things, it's only because you chose to go through these things before you entered into this reality. Because before you're born, you're just a spirit that's up in heaven with all the other spirits. And we're all together. There's no hell. There's no nothing. We're all just together. And we kind of choose that we go through this checklist of the things we want to experience in our life so that we can grow as as souls to to become more realized or, or more... Uh, uh, enlightened. Yeah, more enlightened. And so anything in that view, anything that happens to you happens because you've chosen it for yourself. It's not exactly what Zophar is saying here, but it's the same type of idea where the things that are happening here, you're at fault for it. So don't go blaming anyone else. You were raped because you you wanted to go through that before you were born. You chose this for your your path in life. You wanted to be a slave. You wanted to be hated. You You wanted to be... You know, your actions incited it. Your, Your actions made that happen. Or you you must have thought poorly of yourself so you put that energy out into the universe and it came back to you in this way and right so much garbage well and we see uh tangential ideas to this as well in deliverance ministry some of you don't know but we are and have been involved in deliverance ministry casting out of demons and things of that sort in deliverance ministry it's super common to believe that anything that's going wrong in a person is some sort of demonic influence. 
Do you have cancer? Well, it's a demon causing that. Oh, you have diabetes? Well, it's because there's a demon or spirit that's causing you to have diabetes. There's something wrong in your body. There's something wrong in your thought processes. There's something wrong. Well, it's because there are demons. You're depressed? Are, it's right, a demon. It's a demon. It's depression demon. You're angry? It's a demon. Yeah. It, and it's literally looking for demons in in every situation well and and in a way it is saying you're suffering these things because of the evil that you have allowed in your life Mm -hmm. because you yourself are evil therefore you are suffering from these things and the fact of the matter is that is not the case there are plenty of sicknesses that occur simply because a person's body is broken Right. Simply because a person's mind is broken or they're they're they've been through so much trauma that they're broken. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a demonic spirit causing it. Now, to be fair, Job's issue was actually caused by a demonic spirit. True. <laughs> but I don't think that it was But a... it's not because he opened the door to right, the demonic exactly. spirit. And that's one thing you'll hear a lot of in uh deliverance ministry is well if you have the demon you need to close the door to the demons and because you only they're only there because you have opened them up you have opened up and you've allowed them in for some way you you started it with your angry thoughts towards someone which then came into alignment with the spirit which then the spirit then gained access to you through your angry thoughts but that's ridiculous because you can have demonic influences on your life by choices you didn't make, that other people made. Well, not just or that. Or situations that happened before you were even born. It's it's not, it's not a, it's not something that you necessarily choose. It's not just that. I mean, we see here, Job didn't open any doors in order to be tormented by this demon. Right. By Satan. He, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't go out and, and introduce death into his life or introduce uh theft into his life or introduce uh wicked friends or gossip to his life or or slander or any of these other things by participating in these himself his his issue with the spirit realm has absolutely nothing to do with His his actions yeah and alongside this the relief from what he's experiencing isn't going to come about by some sort of deliverance ministry because it is God ordained. Right. It is God saying, yes, this needs to happen. And his friends, if they were to take this track, they could cast out demons till they're blue in the face. And it's not going to do any good because God has ordained that those demons be there. And so many people lose sight of that in the deliverance ministry. They lose sight of the fact that sometimes that's there, not because of anything they did, but because God said so. And it's there for a good reason. God's got a bigger plan. Right. And God's authority in saying they can be there trumps you calling on his authority to cast them out. So um, all that to say is if you do get involved in deliverance ministry or you go through deliverance in some way, which I highly recommend, everybody should go through it in some way because there are demons that are involved in our lives there it it does happen they're very real they are very real but not everything is demonic and we can't make it that way and arriving at that conclusion comes about because of taking time to sit down and actually observe the way the world works to look at scripture to look at the the reality of the of the thing just like job does in the very next chapter 
because so far as here, he's casting down Job. He's saying, look, we know the evil suffer, the wicked are punished, and you're being punished ipso facto. You are evil. You've done something wrong. Fix it. And your continued insistence that you're righteous just is proving and digging yourself deeper into this trench of evilness that you're never going to escape from until you repent. So chapter 21 then. Hold on. Before we go to 21, I wanted to point out the the very beginning of this chapter of 20 Mm. where he's talking about, he he says, In truth, my troubled thoughts urge me to answer because my feelings within me. He's talking... He's not talking from a place of truth. He's not talking from a place of facts. He's talking from a place of his thoughts and his feelings. And one of the things that we have to remember is that our feelings lie to us. Okay, so the what you're translation translates as my feelings within me uh in the hebrew it's actually my haste within me my haste in my bosom my haste what does that mean uh it, probably my racing heart compels me to do this well okay but that's still his feelings. It, it's still yeah he's interpreting <laughs> his ra- his racing heart at, at job's words and his own zeal and um offense at what Job is saying mm-hmm. as direct divine intervention from God saying, you got to say something. Uh, and that, that is so common again within Christian circles for people to call on God's word or God's name and say, God gave me a message for you that you should do this thing or that you need to do this, or I and, need to give you this message. And the real source is their own feelings. Right. And it's non-falsifiable, which is why it's so dangerous. It could mm-hmm. be just a person's racing heart within them. It could be that the air conditioning kicked on at a certain time. They got a tingle and they said, Oh, the spirit's telling me that I need to go do this thing. Uh, Right. Which is why it's so important that we learn to recognize God's voice. Guys, God is not goosebumps. <laughs> He's not. And I have gotten goosebumps. And I have gotten goosebumps and thought, oh, it must be a spirit. But it might be, but it's quite possibly not. Because I've gotten goosebumps watching stupid tv shows before i'm just saying just because you get goosebumps is not a sign that the spirit is moving but to be fair there is there is a quality to the spirit's moving that is different than just ooh, i got goosebumps right and you will the scripture says that we will know his voice but we have to actually be practiced in listening for his voice and be discerning that it's his voice and it's not just our feelings. And I wanted to point that out because feelings do, in fact, lie to us. Yes, they, they do. They lie to us a lot. If you've you've probably heard our our story on that, we've got many, but we really just tell the one. But we had a situation a long time ago where we were struggling and we had actually 
made up and everything was kind of going in the right direction. And out of the blue, we had a situation where I was on the phone with a friend and asked Aaron to get me some information. Aaron leaves the room and my friend's toddler grabbed the phone and starts talking to me and then threw the phone across the room. And I said, oh, that's okay. I didn't want to talk to you anyway. And Aaron, hearing my words, thinking that I am talking to him, his feelings, his his heart starts racing. Right. His feelings inside of him compel him to be furious with me. Oh, I was angry at, because I had gone and done what she asked. And as I'm walking back into the room, I hear, well, I didn't want to talk to you anyway. And I'm like, but I didn't leave because I didn't want to listen to you. I left to go do what you asked me to do. I didn't realize you had more to say. I, I didn't mean to offend you. Why are you so upset with me? Ah! And I got angry that she was treating me so disrespectfully. And it was my lying emotions. Right. They do lie to us. And I think to a degree that that situation was, in fact, an attempt by demonic forces to put a wedge between us because we had struggled so hard to get back together. Right. And we had only been back together like a couple of days. Yeah. And it was the prime time to drive another wedge between us and and break us back apart. And so there are things that happen like that where we feel justified in our anger. We feel justified in our judgment of others. And they're not true. They're right. not right. They're they're wrong. And they separate us from godly people. They separate us from people we should be loving. Yeah. Uh, guys, ladies, if you are ever angry at someone because of your feelings, stop for a moment. Do not let your feelings lead. You have to stop and you have to let logic and reason and the facts on the ground lead. Once you've established those, then you can pour all of your emotion into what you're doing. But until then, you've got to learn to squash those emotions, shove them aside. Don't allow them to take control for a time until you can get all your facts. Because, as you said, there's more stories we could tell of times where one of us didn't have all the facts, we misinterpreted a situation, and it just led to all sorts of trouble. Because our feelings were telling us that this other, that our spouse didn't love us, or that they were being mean to us, or that they weren't on our side, or that they were trying to harm us. Or it might not even be situations or, with, us, with the spouse. It might right. be work, or it might be... A customer or a co-worker or yeah. anybody. All kinds of all kinds of things. Right. So don't allow, just because you feel that instant feeling that doesn't like a person, and the same way goes for instant feelings of attraction. Slow down. Take a breather. Get to know the person. Get to know where they're coming from. 
if you have the time and if it's worth it to you. But don't allow it to ruin your day. Don't allow it to drive you to do something that's not Christ-like, especially when you may be completely misreading the situation. Honestly, if you're operating on knee-jerk reactions, you're probably operating like a jerk. Right. Yeah, and and, uh, television is so full of that trope of walking in on the end of something and seeing something, making a bunch of assumptions and using it as the motivation to to do all sorts of things. Um, We see it all the time in movies and TV. And it's such a, it's kind of a true trope, which is why it continues to be used. Mm -hmm. It's because we all do it. And so we've got to train ourselves out of that sort of response. And that's where chapter 21 comes in. Mm -hmm. Because chapter 21 Job is sitting down and he's looking out at the world and he's looking at the thinking of the people he's known who have been evil people. And he's saying, what you're saying doesn't stack up with reality. Right. He's he's taking an emotional step back. He doesn't. Right. He doesn't engage the anger. Right. He doesn't come back at Zophar with anger. He comes back at him with facts uh, well and we don't know necessarily where job was he might have been angry i'd have been angry after all of this attacks. i mean he does and, talk and about there okay, is like in verse three let me speak and then yeah, you can mock and on. then you can keep mocking me all you want but let me speak here and he completely shoots down Zophar's complete argument mm-hmm. because he says you know what the rich people they fill their bellies and they get to an end of a long life and They live in comfort and ease and they enjoy themselves and God never does anything about it. We can look out at the world. We can see so many wicked people in the world and we can know for certain that and we just looking in on their lives that God hasn't done anything to stop them or to judge them in this life. They reach their their deathbed of old age. Verse 7, why do the wrong live and become old and become mighty in power? Their seed is established with them before their face and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are at peace without fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds and does not fail and their cow calves without miscarriage. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and they rejoice with the sound of the flute. This is all the wicked man. And he's saying, look, you can go to any bar in the world and you can see wicked people having fun, enjoying themselves. And they're having, going to go home. Having lots and they're of going money. To, having right. You can look the at the kings of the want. world that are not righteous, that rule with iron fists or rule unjustly, and nothing happens to them. You can look at the rich men who sit in their big houses on their stuffed chairs and gorge themselves on fine foods, and they come to the end of their lives full and rich and fat with tons of kids, and nothing goes wrong for them sometimes. You can't base a person's righteousness on their circumstances. Right. I hate to keep harping on it, but the book kind of keeps harping on it. Mm -hmm. We can't allow that to be our motivating factor or to be our our decision maker when it comes to dealing with people around us, is their circumstances. And even near the end, he, I forget where it is, but he talks about the rich and the poor are all wicked and they all come to the same end. And... You know what? Wicked people are everywhere in all walks of life. And so too are righteous people. They're in all walks of life. 
your walk of life isn't determined by how righteous you are before God. It's verse 22 through 26 is, is about the rich man and the poor man die together. I find verse 16 through 18 interesting because it's straight out of Psalm 1. Mm. Look, their prosperity is not in their own hands. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out or calamity fallen on them? How often does he allot pain in his anger? How often are they like straw before the wind, like chaff swept away by a storm? It is, yeah, there's a lot of Psalm 1 in there. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the Torah of Adonai, and he meditates in his Torah day and night. For he shall be as a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. But whatever he does shall prosper. But the wrong are not so, they are like the chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore the wrong shall not rise in judgment and sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Adonai knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will come to nothing. I mean, Psalm 1 is an excellent example of this type of thinking. And right. that doesn't make Psalm 1 any less true, but it does, it's not one that you can look at and point to the world and say, see, this is how we determine who is good and who is evil. Right. It is, it's not a litmus test. It's not a spell. It's, yeah. It's not a spell. It's not a prescription. It, it's not saying this is how the world works. It's an ideal that is being expressed and almost a wish or a desire that this would be lived out in in reality. This whole chapter, it really gets to the heart of that point that we were making earlier about you allowing your feelings to kind of be your motivation or be the thing that determines what you're going to do. Because Job, Job looks at the reality. He uses reason, he uses logic, he uses evidence to come to his conclusion, whereas the others, they're using, they're using their doctrine, they're using their traditions, they're using the, the what things should be, their feelings of how the world should work to determine their reality. And we see that their reality is not correct. But Job, when he actually sits down, he looks at the real world, and he sees the wicked prospering, his view is the correct one. And he calls them out on it. He's not ashamed. He's not afraid to say, no, you're wrong. And here's why. And using empirical evidence, using something that people can test and see, and that they already legitimately know. When they right. look around, when they see people, when they hear from travelers, when they hear stories they see this happening in real time in their lives and they dismiss what they see for this trope, this idea, this doctrine that they can't, that, that they don't see on a regular basis. And so when they see someone be cast down, it's almost like they're gloating over him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to, to look on someone who's hurting and feel better. Now, as far as Job goes in his own grief, this is a huge 
advancement in his own mental state. Mm-hmm. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've seen him begin to kind of turn the page and to start trusting in God as his only sure foundation because his friends have proved treacherous as well. But he still has had issues. He's not really been able to answer the charges that are coming against him. But, but- now, suddenly, he's got a good answer for what's coming against him. And I know that I find myself doing that constantly where someone will ask me something or someone attack will come or, and you give your initial answer and maybe someone else comes and does the same thing and you give another answer. And then, you know, three weeks later, you're going through the same conversation in your head and you're like, that's the answer. Mm -hmm. That's the one I was looking for. That's the one that would have been the perfect answer for in the moment. Right. And I think Job is is kind of experiencing that. He's heard the attack over and over and over and over again. And so far he's been like, yeah, look, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything I've done wrong. I can't think of what's wrong. I just know I'm suffering and it's God doing it to me. But And then the last two weeks, but God is my, my shelter and my shield, my comfort. He's the one who's who's going to redeem me out of this. And this week, finally, he's got an answer. And he says, can anyone teach God knowledge? since he judges even the highest. And then he talks about how God lets people be super rich and, and evil right. and, and have all the things. And he lets a righteous man be poor. Who can judge God for that? Right, right. And that's really what he's getting at is you all are judging God, uh, telling God what he can and can't do, how he can or can't act. And, you're and not I allowing think him he's, to be him. he is starting to learn who God is yes. on a deeper level. Through this chapter, we see it. Yeah. So there's a significant amount of growth happening in Job's life that we see here in chapter 21. Yeah. As you go out in the world, don't allow your feelings to take the lead. Don't allow your doctrine to take the lead. Don't allow your tradition to take the lead. There does need to be a healthy dose of actually examining the reality that we live in. Discernment. That needs to be part of our entire equation of who God is and how he works. And that's just such a huge part of the process of seeking life. So seek life. In all that you do. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we dare as we seek life. Shalom.